This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the Science Fictionary Podcast, the podcast brought to you by sciencefictionary.com, where we discuss all things in the world of sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and superheroes in the world of pop culture. I am Daniel and joining me tonight are Marisha. Hey everybody. And Andrew. What's going on everybody? And David. Hello. All right. So... If everybody caught Monday's episode, you know we are doing our Pillars of Science Fiction series. Um, last week was literature, and if you want to check out our entire list of that, you can check that out at thesciencefictionary.com. And this week, we are doing television. Um, so this this list might be a little shorter, y'all. I'm not sure we're going <laughs> to... Uh, we've probably all got the same form. <clears throat> You know, I was pretty close. I made an effort to to probably not have the same four, but I think there's one that's on everybody's list. Oh yeah, probably two, there's, and pro- well, may, probably maybe maybe two. Mm, I got two that there, I don't think are going to be on anybody else's list unless they're on Marisha's. There is one that I put only to go out of my way to try to have a little variety. Yeah. Well, I have I have my like basic list and then I have all the other things I'm going to talk about whenever you guys take all of my topics. Well, well, you you didn't Marisha didn't get a chance to go first on any of the novels, so we'll have to let her jump in first on uh on one of the shows, yeah. but um I just kind of want to like I, this this if you didn't catch our episodes last week, we talked about the pillars of sci-fi. We specifically talked about novels last week and keep in mind these are not what we're saying are the the greatest science fiction no. shows ever made or and, and the same with the novels it's not that they're the best ever it's or or that they're even our favorites but that these are what we feel that the that are the foundations of modern science fiction and that's what i was saying earlier that you know we started last week's series with literature so television and actually, I do want Marisha's first because it's going to get interesting. And she had she she struggled last week whenever we all had some of the same books she did. So, all right. Well, <laughs> what did you got first, Marisha? Okay. Well, I mean, there's only one first. There's only one right answer, right, to what is the most important sci-fi TV show ever. It's got to be Star Trek. Yeah, the original yeah. series. Without Star Trek, the original series, sci-fi is completely different. You know, everything is is completely different. Um, and I mean, not that there wasn't sci-fi before Star Trek, but no, and there and there are things that inspired Star Trek, but it's probably the single most important piece of futurism ever written. It's got to be. I mean, and like I said, I'm cl- clearly this is clearly the one that everybody's got on their list, right? Does anybody not have Star Trek the original series on their list? No. I just no, have Star Trek in general, but I mean, yeah, Star Trek the original yeah, series. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so I did not actually watch Star Trek the original series until 
uh, fairly recently, whenever Andrew and I were dating, he decided I should see Stargate. And I made my own wedding dress. And so I spent 500 hours sitting in front of the TV, hemming and doing all that kind of stuff, watching Stargate. And so watched lots of Stargate, like 20 seasons of Stargate. And when I went back and I finally went back and watched the original Star Trek, I was like, I mean, Stargate's totally a ripoff of this. I mean, and <laughs> how many things do you sit down and watch? The, you know, they seem, if you've never seen the original Star Trek, they seem so innovative and clever until you sit down and you watch and you're like, wait a second. Not only is like the concept, like this exact episode is mm-hmm. a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Stargate did some interesting things that do set it apart. And that you're you're seeing the evolutionary climb of humanity to a spacefaring race, but your but the the tropes it's definitely riffing on mm-hmm. on what Star Trek created. So, right? and I know you're a big you know you're a big original and next generation fan, Daniel. Yeah. And Star Star Trek is the first one on my list, <coughs> and it's gonna be the first one on all of our list. It is. Uh, we already said it's the most important, Andrew said it, the most important piece of futurism ever written. It's, yeah. it, that was really the start of what we enjoy now in science fiction. Mm-hmm. That was that, that jump-started all. And that show was not. It, it got three seasons, its original run, and that was it. It actually was going to be canceled after the second season, and the fans saved it. That was one of the first big write-in campaigns. Mm-hmm. To, to save a show was for Star Trek to get a season three. And unfortunately, seasons three actually isn't as strong as the first two seasons. But that, that was it. But it hit the magic number at the time. It needed 72 episodes to be considered for syndication. And what that third season did was get them to 72 episodes. And they were able to go into syndication. And that's where it found its footing. Mm-hmm. Reruns. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. We, we talked about it with Firefly the day. This was the first show, really, that the fans would not let die. Yeah. They started getting together in their costumes and going to these conventions, and they started inviting some of the actors to come mm-hmm. to these conventions, and the conventions got bigger and bigger, and they decided they were going to do, they were going to revive the series. That never got off the ground, but as things progressed with that, that series turned into Star Trek, the motion picture. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and, really not just the, be- you know, it's the beginning of con culture, which has become yeah. a really big yeah. part of geekdom. That's is exactly right. You know, if if there are, if there is no Star Trek, there are no Star Trek conventions. Um, then yeah. there is no Comic Con. There is no any of it. Right. There's no Star Wars celebration. There's no. Mm-hmm. It's you know. Yeah. So it's it is the most important science fiction television show ever created everything and not just sci-fi almost everything that i watch or Mm -hmm. read today you can look at and say oh they took that from star trek or Mm -hmm. oh star trek did that first yeah um star trek did it better a lot of the times too did it better you're right uh i've only recently gotten into star trek because of this podcast uh, because of our series of reviewing it, which we're going to talk about some Star Trek later in the show, actually. And um, I, one of the great things about it is not only is it super influential, it is freaking great. It's it awesome. Is. It's an yep. amazing 
series of shows and movies. Mm-hmm. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Um, it does, and it's probably established this, it is a show that, yes, it's science fiction, it's about the future, but it draws so much on real history, mm-hmm. on modern times, on people, and it, and it is truly timeless because yep. of that. Um, there will never be a point in human history where I don't think Star Trek will be relevant. Um, I mean, going forward, you know what I mean? Um, it's about people. It's about humans. And some of the best sci-fi is just about people and exploring humanity. Yep. Sci-fi is huge into doing that. Um, yeah. So much sci-fi that I watch and that I read and, and here and everything it's all about that it tackles those same themes that gene roddenberry tackled 50 years ago yep. he was a true visionary completely ahead of his time star trek is the kind of show that would be made today but like with our you know modern sensibilities and such but it was made decades ago yep and it and it did some incredible things and you look back at some of the maybe not the original series but maybe like the next generation and other star star trek shows they look great they um they are really high quality amazing productions and they establish they establish a real bar mm-hmm. they have they have set the bar for what sci-fi should be and now i'm not going to i'm not going to lie i've been watching some of uh, Star Trek's contemporaries this week, so we're watching, we're watching something today. And Iana's, they're going through like a meteor field, and Iana's going, "That's tinfoil. That is totally tinfoil. I can see it. It's in black and white." And my my ten year old's over there going, "That's tinfoil." Um, <laughs> so, you know, that being said, although some of those sets are, are kind of laughable by today's standards compared to the uh, tinfoil <laughs> meteors <laughs> that right. are also being uh, lobbed at spaceships at the, at the time. Um, Star Trek was pretty impressive in the sixties. It was, you're right. It was impressive and I can go back and I can watch it and you can find our, our, all of our episodes of us talking about Star Trek. I am, I praise it for its use of, great looking practical effects and that's another mm-hmm. way of making it timeless i mean it showed us the future by using practical effects and a lot of the times it it looks better than using our quote-unquote futuristic technology that we have right now mm-hmm. yeah. uh, andrew do you have any do you have anything different for your number one well i mean star trek is my my number one i i you know as i said i i knew I tried to put things on my list that I didn't think everybody else would that I still thought were important. But mm. you can't make this list and not put Star Trek on it. No, you can't. So we, we knew we'd all be in agreement about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to keep going, though, with Marisha going first here. What's your number two? My number two. Okay, so I'm going to pull something slightly less... Um, obvious than what's actually on my number two because I'll let somebody else talk about that. Um, so I, like I said, I've been watching a lot of really old, weird stuff. And 
in spite of the fact that Captain Video and his Video Rangers is as previously stated, um, <laughs> it is no cornerstone of cinematic excellence. You know, the, the fact remains, it is the daggum thing ran six days a week for years. 1,500 episodes. In fact, I, was, I don't even remember which president it was that decided he wanted his inauguration to be a half an hour later because everybody was going to be tuning in to watch Captain Video and the Video Rangers, and he wanted them to – so he wanted them to switch the inauguration time so that he could – you know, people would actually watch it. That's great. Okay, y'all, just like some random facts – $25 an episode for a uh, prop budget. Like I said, I mean, the show was one of the first examples. And this is something that's, that's kind of become really important in sci-fi is merchandising, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Spaceballs last night, so I had, had to have to bring that in there. Um, like the n- amount of merchandise that you could buy associated with this Weird little show that ran for a half an hour every day is ridiculous. I mean, you could buy space helmets, you could buy little figures, you could buy all kinds of stuff. And so that was really the beginning of the TV merchandising machine. Well, and it's the interesting thing about this show is it's kind of the transition point of science fiction from radio drama from your daily radio drama to mm-hmm. TV. That's why it was running every day. It was meant to compete directly with the radio. Yep. Uh, and it was geared towards kids. Yep. And 1949 through 1955. Yeah. It was geared towards kids, but the interesting thing was they intentionally, when they realized what, an ad- what a large adult audience they had, they moved it to 7 o'clock so that adults, would list- cause at- so that adults could listen after they got home from work. Because it was drawing such a large adult audience in addition to the kid audience. So That's really cool. Anyway, that is my weird and random uh, second item on my list. Captain Video and his Video Rangers? Yes. I had forgotten Captain Video even existed until we started this series. Even Asimov wrote some episodes of Captain Video. Like some really famous sci-fi names in sci-fi were writing episodes. So I have one too that I think we're probably all going to have again. But I actually put Doctor Who on my list. Yeah, me um, too. I, the, I probably the original, am the only one that didn't put Doctor Who on my list. If I were to go five or six deep, I would put Doctor Who on there. And Doctor Who absolutely belongs in the top four. And again. I didn't put it just for the simple sake of trying for our list to be more than four <laughs> shows. That's a different light. Because our, our, the more I looked at this, I was like, our list could literally end up being four shows. Yeah. <laughs> like, we could. And it, really, to tell you the truth, maybe Captain Video Bones only just because it was so early and it caught on so quick that it was the first, you know, sci-fi touch program with a lot of popularity that probably should be four because we all know what our top three are going to be mm-hmm. i've got a fourth and i don't think anybody else is going to have but doctor who though th- this show started 1963 mm-hmm. the original series ran for 26 seasons it's unreal 26 mm-hmm. seasons mm-hmm. and it is i remember watching this show when i was a little kid 
it would come on LPB, Louisiana Public Broadcasting. It was a PBS show, and it came on late at night. And I just, I don't know, I don't know how old I was, but I remember sitting there and watching it, and I remember watching it just because I thought it was weird. And it was like the most grown-up thing I could find to watch. You know what I mean? Like, right. This this show is us. And I remember my daddy coming in one day and going, why are you watching Doctor Who? And I'm like, is that what the name of this is? <laughs> I don't know what this is. It's just it's just cool you know he's got this this like magic wand thing and it does everything <laughs> and what are these what are these little pyramid shaped robots like this this is wacky mm-hmm. and i loved it i loved it i was yeah. a eight-year-old kid sitting there like you know i've said before my exposure to uh being a geek or, or science fiction of any kind was star trek reruns and the 1960s Batman animated series, but mm-hmm. to a lesser degree, to a lesser degree, it was me staying up way later than I was supposed to <laughs> watching Dr. Who reruns on PBS also. Wow. Um, and I mean, what other, there are 13 doctors now. We have yep. Jodie Whittaker, mm-hmm. right? The first female doctor. Yeah. And by the way, she's really good. I know? haven't actually, I watched, the first Stephen Capaldi season, I have not watched it since then. Uh, right. So I'm kind well, of behind they, on my Doctor Who. Yeah, and, and this is a show, like I said, with a really weird history. It was actually meant to be an educational program. Hmm. The idea was the idea was, was that the Doctor was a time lord, and he was going to take these ordinary people from present day, and the TARDIS was basically just going to be a device where we could examine science, and historical events firsthand. Mm-hmm. Magic school. Books. It was going to yeah. be. It, it was. It was going to be an educational program, and it just sort of. It just kind of evolved into what it is now. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the Doctor regenerating uh, is because they lost the first actor that played the Doctor. They had to replace him. Well, how do we explain this? Well, maybe the Doctor just—he's basically immortal, and he can just regenerate. They just came off the top of somebody's head. Yep. And it is a absolute. It's an event it is, in sci-fi. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. such a, be the next Doctor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Even people who don't watch Doctor Who. Integral, yeah, and it's become such an integral part to the story itself. Mm-hmm. Is his regeneration and and continuing to move forward with it, and it, it, it's just it's incredible how this show just sort of stumbled into so many things that have made it great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. I have not actually watched classic. Like I said, I found out that you can't watch Doctor Classic Doctor Who for free anywhere, so I'm gonna have to track somewhere down to to pay for it. But I do have um, the Backyard Tardis on uh, Twitter he sent me a list of must watch yeah, Doctor Who episodes. So I'm gonna have to go. This guy might be our biggest fan. Yeah, he had lots of really uh, interesting things to say. So I'm excited to uh, really get to dive into that whenever I have time to figure out a place to watch it. So that's going to be fun. Go watch some uh, some old sci-fi. My kids will really enjoy it, I think. And I'll take the opportunity, though, to tell everyone who's listening that inter- interact with us. We, we enjoy that. Yeah, ask us questions. Then tell us things. Yeah, if we start getting a bunch of them, I'm not going to promise you we can all respond to all of them. 
But you know, we some of us we, will respond to some of them. Yeah, and we uh, uh, you know, you'll probably introduce us to stuff we hadn't thought of before. Yeah, and let us know what you let us know what you like for us to talk about. So, yes. but anyway, Doctor Who I think definitely belongs on the list. Yeah, I put it on my list, and I haven't seen a whole lot of Doctor Who. I've only seen the David Tennant uh, Doctor Who, just that because was I was best. such a big fan of best. David Tennant. He's my favorite Doctor. He's my yeah, favorite, He too. is... Uh, I, I, did it, I, I saw David Tennant on other things, mm-hmm. and I ended up accidentally at a David Tennant panel at WizCon one year. <laughs> it was awesome. And yeah. it was you were there too. I, I I didn't mean to be there. Like I walked into the wrong panel, but I ended up staying because he was just so charming and awesome. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm a big fan of this guy because I'd seen him on Jessica Jones at that point. Right. And so I like I gotta watch his Doctor Who stuff. And um, yeah, I love the show. I'd love to find the time to watch more. There's just so much of it. But really, it ended up ended up on my list just because you're right. Like so many seasons of the show mm-hmm. it's it's it is the only other franchise that i can think of that is like run for as long and as much would be star trek mm-hmm. like everything else genuinely the simpsons <laughs> and the simpsons right yeah. continuously you know star wars like so i'm talking about like tv shows right um it won't go away. It's Everything such an else important... runs its course. Yeah. Every other sci-fi show runs its course. Doctor yep. Who will not run its course. Yeah. Uh, they it's keep like... finding ways to to get people to watch. It just has such yep. a loyal fan base. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned Star Trek. There's there's it ever since the Next Generation. For the most part, there's been always been a Star Trek series on TV, with you know a couple of breaks, but. 26 seasons of one series that the original Doctor Who got. Yeah. Nobody's ever. That's, that's, other than a soap opera, that's unreal. Right. No single Star Trek series comes close to even no. touching. And it's become such an important cultural touchstone. You know, I mean, it's, like I said, it's one of those things that even, like, I mean, even people who don't watch Doc, who've never watched the first episode of Doctor Who are familiar, you know, they know what the, you know, they know what the TARDIS is. They know what a song, you know, they, they, it, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that kind of like you, even if you've never seen Star Wars, you know what a Jedi is, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's such an, and you know, it's one that I think it's really hard to make this list without, Without yeah, putting it on there, um, and it's such a cor- cons. Cons cons are a great uh, measurement stick for how influential something is. Mm-hmm. And at every single con, at every single booth, there are people that are that are selling scarves and they're, they're fezes and bow ties. Yep, exactly. Yes, and you can exactly. always tell as soon as screwdrivers. you walk in the door. If one of the doctors is at the con. Yeah. <laughs> yep, because there will be a line wrapped around the building. I remember when, uh, um, what's his name, Matt Ryan? No, Matt not Matt Ryan. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. I remember when he was there, um, he had a line that rivaled Stan Lee's. Yeah. Yep. He I mean, was also was great. That much. 
Yeah. Which just blew my mind. I had no idea somebody could be that popular. Yep. Oh, but yeah. People love him. People at my school. That's the thing. When you can, when you can keep getting new fans. Yep. Um, there are people, but when I was in high school, there were people who walked around wearing scarves mm-hmm. only because of Doctor Who. They were weird and they got bullied. I feel sorry for them, <laughs> but they walked around with scarves because they lo- And even though they were getting bullied, they did not take that scarf off mm-hmm. because they were that proud to be a Doctor Who fan. And you know what? Good for them. Yep. Well, you know, and the 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 other thing about Doctor Who is it has managed. TV shows don't always uh, cross the pond real successfully. Mm-hmm. You know, right. uh, movies, um, you tend to see a much bigger international fan base, but not TV shows as much. Um, but Doctor Who is the exception that proves the rule because it is such a big deal. There aren't that, there are definitely not that many British shows that are that popular in the U.S. Um, but Doctor Who consistently managed to be one of the most popular, you know, other than Jane Austen adaptions, you know, which has its own uh, set of, you know, weird devotees. Uh, Doctor you Who got, managed. You got to go, go start your own Jane Austen podcast as you bring her up way too much on this show. Not too much. <laughs> Jane Austen is the best, <laughs> the very best. <clears throat> Okay. You get to talk about Batman. I get to talk about Prime. Hey, the show was designed. This show was created solely so I could talk about Batman. <laughs> That's why I said, go talk about the Jane Austen podcast on your Jane Austen podcast. Right. <laughs> anyway, y'all can tell Marisha and I love each other, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like the brother <laughs> I never had. <laughs> so anyway, this. That's that's Doctor Who. Yep. Uh, so, Andrew, what was next on your list, though? Okay, so I, again, went earliest to latest. So, at the top of my list, just because it's the oldest, is Tales of Tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, Tales of Tomorrow is from 1951. It's one of the first anthology series. So, it's the, it's the predecessor to... The other one on everyone's the, list. The other one on everybody's list, which is going to be the, the Twilight Zone. Rod Serling called this the granddaddy of all sci-fi. Hmm. Arthur C. Clarke wrote episodes of this. People that were in it, it Boris Karloff, uh, Cloris Leachman, Leslie Nielsen, Paul Newman, all people that were in this, they did renditions of Frankenstein, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It was just this an incredible little show that I mean, it ran for 85 episodes in two seasons, and it is literally the it's it's really the inspiration for all of the anthology shows that came after. But unlike some of those, it was doing a lot of adapting classic sci-fi. So that's 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 interesting. Actually, that's something I need to know more about. So I'm glad you brought that one up. And it came out what year? 1951. 19. 19- wow, that's. That is a long. That is uh, definitely earlier than a lot of. It's um, almost as old as you, Dad. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Get it? Okay. Did David? Do you have something different? Yeah. So I do have something different. So I don't know um, if we want to go ahead and get into Twilight Zone or to save Twilight Zone for next. Because, um, like, you were right, Andrew. We can go ahead and talk about Twilight Zone. 
Joey well, actually, you know what? You know what? I'll go ahead and say my one weird one, and then we'll get into Twilight. So that way we can save Twilight Zone for the next. And while we're on me, I'll get into my weird one. This one was well, just one, and, and you know, it's it's not the right answer uh, for what is in the top. But when I'm thinking of what is different, and, and when you're thinking about what inspires what is popular and still big today, um, some of my favorite, some of the biggest sci-fi shows are animated shows actually mm-hmm. and like like for just for an example rick and morty is like one of the biggest shows in the world mm-hmm. everybody talks about it so i looked back and i actually put on my list futurama as wow. a pillar just just for um it being probably the biggest and best animated sci-fi show um there they, they make oh what I saw like an eye roll. No, it's not an eye roll, uh, but I, I do have. See, I've got an animated series on mine as well. Oh uh-huh. really? Yeah, and it. it uh, I love Futurama. Futurama is one of my favorite series of all time. But I, I do have a. Um, they're they're different, but I do have an animated series. Really? From interesting. Bring uh, it up then. Let's have that discussion. Comparing them here, real quick. Okay. Well, so wait, do we want to let David finish talking? Given his future, yeah. That, let pitch? David finish talking about that, I, and then I'll yeah. I'll bring mine in. I'll just quickly say, Futurama is hilarious, and yeah. you know, I I I tried to research like, what was the first animated sci-fi show, and I couldn't find an exact answer. So I just had to pick what I thought was probably the most influential mm-hmm. as an animated sci-fi show, and I feel like it's Futurama. Every science fiction based animated show. That I, that is around out there that are big like Rick and Morty, like mm-hmm. Gravity Falls. Um, they all you can look at and say, oh, that's you're taking your influences from Futurama, and they mm-hmm. probably wouldn't exist without it. Yeah, and um, I do really add, like Gravity Falls too. Yeah, it Gravity is, Falls is great. It seems um, like the humor, the style of humor, has been really influential in exactly in kind it of as it's kind of like you know we talked about. When I when I put Hitchhiker's Guide on my list for the yeah. novels, it's the that's same. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, was like in the sort of the same way that you had Hitchhiker's Guide on your list. I thought Futurama at least deserved a mention, absolutely, just for its style of comedy mixing with the sci-fi, mm-hmm. the dark sci-fi humor, because sci-fi can get pretty dark, and yeah. and, it, and it jokes about that, and um, and, and and lots of shows today, you still feel that same style of humor that i couldn't find at least that i know of an earlier example of mm-hmm. before futurama um and it's still popular today and it's still talked about and just just rick and rick and morty alone is one of the most popular shows that is out today uh it's a rick and morty's an event and rick and morty would not exist without futurama mm-hmm So what was your show? Andy? Okay, so I've actually got the Jetsons on my. I list. considered the Jetsons. I thought about that actually because I know it was sooner, but mm-hmm. when it came to just that style of comedy, I chose Futurama. But I, yeah, I, I did think about that. I would say that prior to Star Trek: The Next Generation, or I'm sorry, Star Trek: The Original Series, that the Jetsons before before Star Trek, the Jetsons was the most important piece of of futurism. Mm, on really? TV. 
Um, yeah, we I had guess. done lots of aliens, alien invasions and monster movies and, mm-hmm. and lots of that kind of stuff. But the Jetsons was one of the first pieces that really took this look and look, what, what would life look like? What, what's life going to look like a hundred years from now? And got a lot of things right. Yeah. When you, yeah. when you start looking at a lot of the technology and stuff you got right now, of course, it's still like Star Trek, the original series. It's very much a product of its time in that people are, you know, it came out in 1962 and, you know, basically you're in the future, but people still, I guess, gender roles of 1962, but in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so right. it didn't. But but as far as like the technology and stuff that it envisioned, I mean, those are a lot of those things are things that we do. We're we're literally doing one of them right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're yeah. sitting here looking at each other and talking, and you know that was the well, Jetsons. Two hours away from each other, right? And so and 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 things like flying cars. I mean, they're honestly they're just not that far off. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think the technology is probably there. It's a do we really turn people loose with this technology sort of thing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have the Jetsons on my list just because I think it is a critical piece of futurism. That's a great point, and I I just I'm inclined to agree with you. I just couldn't do it. At the end of the day, that's still very much a I don't know. I mean, like David mentioned Futurama. Yes, animated. But at this point, do we really make a distinction between animated and a cartoon? Yeah, like, but let's, let's be honest, though. In 1962, really up until the end of the 60s, almost all science fiction was geared towards kids. Mm-hmm. With Star Trek, Doctor Who, The Outer Limit, some of those being the, the exceptions to the rule. And so I don't mm-hmm. think we can, li- we can eliminate something because it's primarily geared towards children because the children that grew up watching that were are the ones who went on to create the next generation of and, and, and there's still a I mean, lot this was, of sci-fi that is you make, geared you make, towards you children. Make good points. You make good points. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with it. I love the Jets and I, I just didn't consider it for this, but I have no issue with it whatsoever. Yeah. No, I mean, I can certainly see why it wouldn't be on everybody's list, but I, I do think it's an important piece of futurism. Yeah, there's that. Um, what I think of when you say Jetsons, I don't know if y'all have been to Epcot, but there's that ride at Epcot, uh, the, the big, you know, the big dome at Epcot. Yeah. At Disney, um, I forget what the ride is called, but it's literally like Jetsons the ride, and it's all about like what's your future gonna be like. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Do you know what I'm talking about, Melissa? I, I, I haven't been. been to to, I haven't been to Epcot. No. Uh, At least not since well, I was like. It's all 10. about like futurism. It, right. it, it is a it is a, it is a celebration of futurism, mm-hmm. and there's actually like literally at the end you get your own little Jetsons cartoon about what oh, your future great. is gonna be like. Yeah. That's so when great. you make that good point of inspiring futurism and exploring what the future is gonna be like, which a big part of sci-fi is that. Mm-hmm. You're right. The Jetsons really does take a take a really. One of the first things to take a good look at that mm-hmm. and, and, and think about what it'll actually be like. And you're right, they got a lot of things correct. And just the way that the way that we live our lives probably won't change that much. It's just the technology 
making it all more convenient. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm ready for that robot maid to do my dishes and my laundry. I'm just saying. Now, I am going to say that thing short-circuited a lot. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got kids for that. Well, Lisa, that's what my mom thinks. <laughs> I've got one. Before we get to the last one that we know we've all got, another one that's kind of off the wall, I'm not sure anybody else has, is The Prisoner. Hmm. Um, another piece of British television. I see Andrew looking. You remember The Prisoner? I do. I do. And I, I that one didn't cross my mind, but it's a good one. Mm-hmm. That was... Just because at the time that was made, there hadn't been anything like it before. It's it's sci-fi, but it was a type of sci-fi that were really this mind-bending, what the hell is going on around here kind of science fiction. Hmm. And it was, like I said, it was groundbreaking for what it was at the time. Nobody had ever done anything like that before. Um, So I do have the prisoner... Just because that was one of the first shows that always kept you guessing, and there was always some kind of twist, and every time you thought you had that show figured out, you were wrong. Not a whole lot to say about it, but just that's that's why I have The Prisoner. If anybody hasn't checked The Prisoner out, go watch it. Watch it all the way to the end, and at the end of that series, you will either just be amazed and gratified and satisfied and get it, or you will throw something at your TV. <laughs> Right. So th- th- check, check that one out. So, Marisha, back to you again. Have we run up into the point that the only <laughs> thing left is the last show we've all got? Um, well, we haven't let David. Have we let David do one first yet? No, I, I've um, uh, we've done all three because I had uh, I had Star Trek. I had Doctor Who and I said Futurama. So, OK, well, I'm going to I mean. I'm going to pull something else out other than the obvious, uh, the obvious third answer just for the sake of um, expanding the conversation a little bit because sci-fi is one of those things that has sub-genres, right? Sub-genres out the wazoo. So we kind of touched on the, the um, space opera in, in the, at least, you know, with our um, conversation about Captain Video and his Video Rangers. Bless it. Um, So one that I actually wasn't familiar about until I started kind of doing a little bit of research is Kolchak the Night Stalker from 1974. Oh, gosh, I love Kolchak. I've never seen it, um, but it it kept coming up as something that was something that was inspirational for the Mm X-Files is is that sort of like. The man, you know, researching the weird and strange and unexpected. So since y'all have seen it, why don't y'all talk about it a little bit? Because I just sort of thought that it belonged on the list, but I didn't really know much about it and I didn't have time to watch it. So take it away. (laughs) Well, Colchat was just, like you said, that was like the first show I can think of that was, it's like he was a private investigator into the, paranormal yep right yeah mm-hmm. which i guess we hadn't seen before and it's darren mcgavin and everybody knows darren mcgavin right y'all remember darren yep. mcgavin yep marisha you know who we're talking about the, i see his picture on the internet christmas story oh okay, oh, okay. yeah so i mean it, it it only ran for one season though it was one of those shows that didn't really 
catch its following. Like, it's the kind of thing that would work now way better than it worked then. But yeah, like like you said, Chris Chris Carter absolutely caused it. I mean, it's a tremendous influence to the X Files. Mm-hmm. He, he openly admits that. You um, know, and the X Files is something that has itself spawned a lot of that kind of paranormal investigation genre. And so I think that it deserves, you know, some mention as the sort of founder of that, that, uh, branch of sci-fi. There were a couple of of TV movies Mm -hmm. that ran in a couple of years before they did the series. Okay. Uh, But yeah, it was definitely different at the time. That's a, that's a good one. It doesn't get the credit it deserves. It was so short. It only got like 20 episodes. Yeah. So that's definitely one I'll have to go back, add that to the, the, I found a lot of things to add to the list of things that I'm going to have to go back and watch now. Right. Good show. That's, that's, I'm proud of you for that one, Marisha. That's good. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, Andrew, is that down to me and you? Do you have anything other than the one we know is coming? I do, but I think it really probably should just be mentioned alongside the okay. one that we're going to talk about. Because the other one that I have on my list, and it was intentional that I put this one instead of the one I'm sure you're going to name, is is The Outer Limits. Yeah, and, um, and I'm, I'm right with you there. But The Twilight Zone, The Twilight Zone makes the list, and The Outer Limits just gets bumped because The Twilight Zone's a superior show. But your point is you feel like Outer Limits stuck more strictly to Outer, traditional... Outer Limits is pure science fiction. It is. So, but I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm not in any way discounting Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone is the better series. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did run concurrently for two years as d- direct competitors. Hmm. They did. And the truth is the 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 revamped Outer Limits series that ran in the 90s is the superior show to the original Outer Limits, too. True. Uh, that show was fantastic. I have resisted putting X-Files on my list because I have, on this show, called X-Files the greatest science fiction TV show ever created, next to Star Trek. Uh, but but certainly within the genre of sci-fi, when we're not talking space adventure stuff, it's, it is the best sci-fi show ever created. And at least... For you know, in my opinion, and but I, I resisted the urge to put it on my list because I know that it was built on the backs of other things, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to put it on the list just because it's my favorite. Yeah, um, right. and I've I have some issues with that as well. You know, I did like in our literature series, I put the Barsoom series on the list, but I can get away with that because right. it's not it's not my favorite, favorite sci-fi novel, Yeah, but it is one of my favorites. And it, it does still belong mm-hmm. on the list we put it on. But anyway, but, I yeah, I think the thing right now, though, is I, I think we're all kind of down to Twilight Zone. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's got to be Twilight Zone. Yeah. It, when I was making my list, and I have actually have, you know, despite, you might not think this, I've seen a lot of the Twilight Zone, uh, even cause, just because um, I just knew about how like incredible apparently the show was. I've watched a lot of the Twilight Zone, seen a lot of the classic episodes, and when I was going to put it on my list, I did kind of run into the same issue that Andrew did. Of there is a lot of, it's not strictly sci-fi, but 
I did put it on my list because one, some of the episodes are some of the most classic pieces of television mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Um, they tackle some of the most amazing themes and, and in such a good way, which is what sci-fi is so important for doing is tackling um, different ideas, different questions, different themes. And the Twilight Zone did that with every episode. Um, and also just how influential it is. Um, I'm loving watching the X-Files. Watching the X-Files, I'm realizing that this is a, very much inspired by the Twilight Zone, the, the wacky, the weird, or that. that. Um, the modern shows today that are like the most popular, probably the most popular sci-fi show today is Str- Stranger Things, I guess, because Stranger Things is extremely popular. Mm-hmm. And that show does not exist without shows at the Twilight Zone. Um, mm-hmm. tackling the weird, tackling the strange and, and exploring questions and, and the Twilight Zone is, is just the king of doing that, which is one of the most important aspects of sci-fi is asking questions about the weird and taking a, a dive into what that is like mm-hmm. and, and solving mysteries and, and seeing how science can kind of influence our real lives and and the Twilight Zone's the king of doing that. Yep. The one arm bandit. That's the name of that creepy that creepy <laughs> episode. Oh. <laughs> Not if a slot machine chasing him around. Not a fan. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so in the Twilight Zone, it's like it's it's one of those things. It's like you you read through lists and lists of like you know fifty greatest sci fi shows bet ever twenty of the best sci fi shows ever on TV, and at like the top three in all of those lists is Doctor Two, Twilight Zone, and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know You're it's right. it's just it's it's so you know even even though some of it has not aged. Uh, particularly well some of it just kind of just comes off a little weird now it's Mm -hmm. so iconic so much i mean you still if i had a dollar for every book that i have read that is used a twilight zone episode as an illustration for a point that they were making i could fund this show (laughs) (laughs) you know it's so it's so universally um important you know culturally yeah yeah the i've heard the joke what is this a twilight zone episode right so Mm. many times yeah and everything Uh, i'm sure the mcu's made that joke before i'm pretty sure so like yeah um you know just something weird happens and somebody goes do 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 you know yeah the song yes and yeah it tackles that that weird and and and, and it's a great, you're talking about the sci-fi subgenres. It's it's amazing at that sci-fi horror element. Um, yes. mm-hmm. When we talk about the movie section of the part of this, I'm going to talk a little bit about like the entire subgenre of sci-fi horror. And, and the Twilight Zone is, is, once again, the king of doing that. Mm-hmm. Of saying, like, you know, you have shows like Star Trek, which kind of celebrates science mm-hmm. and celebrates the potential of all that stuff. But then you have shows like the twilight zone that say like, Hey, what if, um, what, what if it all technology- went to crap? Yeah. yeah. What if it all went to crap? And what if technology got so advanced that it like took over the world? And Oh, that reminds me 
shows like Black Mirror today. Yep. It's it's the Twilight Zone. There's there's that new Twilight Zone remake. That Is it any good? Um, I have not actually watched it. I have I intended ask, to. I have not even watched it. Um, it looked really great. I just haven't had a chance it to had watch an it. Awesome trailer, like that launch trailer during the Super Bowl was yeah, amazing. Exactly. It was incredible. Um, so it's still that like those themes that are still tackled today so often, probably a little too much. Mm-hmm. It's probably too often we hear, what if science was like really bad and we all <laughs> died? But, but you know, the other thing about the Twilight Zone is that it wasn't, it, it was sometimes the way things were approached, but it dealt with a lot of the same issues that Star Trek did a few years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it dealt with, with racism and, and out of control governments and, and war and. It's a little bit of a proving ground for some of those concepts that, that sci-fi would really later riff on. Right. right. But like, just like David was pointing out, when shows like Star Trek would deal with those issues and show the future of those issues in a positive way, Twilight Zone would mm-hmm. go out of its way sometimes to show you, if we keep going down this path, this is how, this, this is how stupid this shit's going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but Star Trek did it in a way that was always interesting in that, you know, it's like, yeah, we've got our stuff together, you know, us, you know, people of Earth, but like, they, but then you see the way they relate to other groups and it's other like, races who are uh, still dealing with it. Right. Right. And so, or, or even within, within Starfleet, with like Kirk's issues with the Klingons, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, we're, and we talked, David talked about this last week with um, First Contact. Where you know, there, is it Lily? Yeah, is telling oh, is, she, you know program. Picard yeah. is like we're we're more advanced than that, and she says bullshit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, exactly. Like so. we're more advanced than going after revenge because we're so we're so we're not about those primitive things. She's like, no, that's human nature, and yeah. and you're right. Like Star Trek is very good at still like even though showing things in a positive light, not shying away from human nature and the idea that we're not going to change it. And the twilight zone also did that. They twilight zone is another great example of sci-fi talking about just humans Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. human nature and, and stuff like that. There's so many classic episodes I can think of that are just all about, um, exposing the ugliness of humans through science fiction. Yeah, I was reading that apparently uh, Rod Sterling got tired of his concepts being rejected for being too political or, you know, too, making too many social, you know, too much social commentary. So he just decided to do it in sci-fi so people would leave him alone. And it worked. <laughs> that's great. That's great. And that's so, why sci-fi yeah. is so important. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so those that is our... TV list for our pillars of science fiction. And uh, I guess the takeaway from that is our our big three, basically Star Trek, Twilight Zone, and Doctor Who, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. With a lot of other well-deserved series mentioned. Um, but we're going to also tonight, before we get off, uh, talk about Star Trek Insurrection, the third movie in the Next Generation era of Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time David's seen it, and I think, Marissa, did you say it's the first time you've seen yeah, this Yeah, I've never there? seen this one. Okay. And yeah. what did you think? I liked it. I you mean, liked it? I liked it. 
You didn't like it? It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I kind of... Okay, and I'm not going to lie. Like, the stretchy skin people, that was creepy. Um, I couldn't, like, you know, area with the stretchy skin. It's wait, just wait. a bit much. Can I, can I point this out real quick before you go any farther? Because you mentioned the stretchy skin people. Okay? Is it not hilarious to you that our vision... <laughs> that at the time that movie was made, the vision of the future for people trying to look younger was to stretch their skin out the way they did in that show, all creepily and <laughs> just with the machines. And we actually have like facelifts now, like actual plastic surgery where you can do it so much better than what we thought we'd be the way we'd be doing it 200 years from now. Yeah. Like 20 years ago, we thought 200 years from now we'd be doing it this way. We've already got a better way to do it. I just yeah. think it's hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, continue. Um, I mean, I, it, it was not, I mean, I wouldn't say that it was like the best Star Trek movie or anything, but I mean, it, it was, I, I enjoyed it. I, uh, we got to see Crusher and Troy, you know, kind of doing a little bit more um, yeah. than we had gotten to see them in previous episodes. And we got to see some more uh, great data. Now, of course, he left the emotion chip at home. Why did he leave the emotion chip at home? I didn't quite get that. I thought the emotion chip was he, merged to his neural net. And that's why he didn't just take it out before. I guess they figured yeah, it out. Yeah, uh, right. He, he didn't he want to be... The plot need him to. That's a valid point. In the plot, though, the idea is, is that he did not want to be dealing with the inconsistencies right. of the emotion chip while he was away from his friends, the mm -hmm. crew. That makes right? sense, yeah. He was off doing something else. That's just another added thing into the equation we don't need to be fooling with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway. So what about you, David? What did you think of the movie? Um, well, I have a question real quick, because uh, obviously I wasn't alive when this movie was made. At the time this movie was made, was um, was there something going on in some part of the world about relocation that some activists were really passionate about? Uh, not okay. really. It's always kind of a thing. I know. I mean, they literally reference the Trail of Tears. Uh, I know, I know, I'm just, okay. So I was wondering if either there was that, or if there was just somebody on staff who was really upset about the Trail of Tears. Uh, because that's that was the kind of the focus, and that's okay. You should be. But I just thought it was kind of, um, okay, okay, I need to start over. So, I think whenever you said, it was okay, that's kind of my exact reaction to Insurrection. Um, I did enjoy it. For the characters, I like you. I love seeing uh, Riker and uh, Troy um, sort of uh, do a little bit more. And finally, finally, yeah, finally, which I was waiting the whole show for because, but, but you know, that's great. Um, I do enjoy that. Um, I really didn't really like Picard in this movie, something about him felt off. I think they, they kept trying to mention that, like the youthfulness thing of the planet was kind of affecting them all, yeah. affecting them a little bit. So it just kind of was weird, but I don't know. Okay. My, my thoughts are all over the place. Um, I kind of just couldn't care less. You know <laughs> what I mean? Cause we're coming yeah. off of generations where you have 
Picard and Kirk meeting and the fate of the world. It, it, like, you know, the, this whole planet could be destroyed and, and the, the, the entire Enterprise explodes and all the crew dies. And, and then you go into contact where the stakes have never been higher. All of Earth is completely taken over by the Borg and they have to go back in time. And, and it's epic and high stakes and, and action-packed and hilarious. And then you get this movie and it's, I just, yeah, it's, it's just sort know, of there. It's just like, oh, okay, so they're going to say, you know, I mean, oh, I just could not, I couldn't care less. That was really kind of like, you You didn't have a big idea, you just really wanted to make a Star Trek movie. You know, it yeah. sounds, it feels it's like, like Andrew just said, when, when we reviewed Generations, Andrew said, it might be the most forgettable Star Trek movie. What'd I say? And she, she ain't seen Insurrection. This <laughs> <laughs> it, it really does, it, 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 honest to God, feels like they had a leftover script. Like a two-part episode, yeah. It, yeah, they it, had over script the series inside to make it. That that's that's what this is. You could have thrown this into season seven absolutely. of Star Trek: The Generation, and it would have felt like it belonged there. And it that's just, a really they, yeah, that's an excellent point. Movie. Well, you know, because I was thinking it. Like I said, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I I I liked it, but it definitely feels a lot more like a I mean a Star Trek story arc than it does like a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a throwaway movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. It explores. I can take it or leave ideas. it. Yeah, it explores some ideas, you know. But it's like a storyline. It's like let's talk about what's going on over here. There were some aspects of the movie I did enjoy. Um, I liked Riker taking charge of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like him without the beard. Wasn't a fan of that, but I do love the part. I love the part where he says smooth as an Android's bottom and data is like, what are you talking about? And then like two minutes later he touches his face and then he shakes his head. No, and <laughs> I, I took, I took that as him saying, no, this isn't as smooth as my butt. <laughs> That's what I took that as. So I did enjoy that. Um, I think the idea with Riker and, and, and Troy is that because they're on this planet, they're more youthful so they're being all flirty and and you know more. I guess. Let's just call let's just call it what it is. I'm gonna say this on the show that they they were horny like teenagers. Ex- yeah, that was the point of it. Yes, that's yeah, that's that. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Um, which you know that's good for them. Um, so I I do like seeing them. You know. Uh, and just call it what it is. Uh, I did like them doing that. They were kind of youthful and like, like, ooh, I got my energy back. Let's flirt. And remember when we were younger and we were together and 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 that kind of thing. It sticks though. We see we see later on that it, it does. You know, it does stick. Yeah, I know that stick. they're married in Picard, and I only know that they're together in Picard because I watched a cooking video on how to make that pizza that he makes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And Picard, yeah, but uh, good. <laughs> um, so that was spoiled for me. But whatever. Um, I do. I also. I, I do like the beginning of the movie. I do like it a lot. I, I, I love the jumping in and, and the mystery. You don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You see Data, and he's gone rogue. And you see like Federation people who are telling him to stop, and he's not. So you're, th- you're the the wheels are turning. Was he hacked, or is this just him being data mm-hmm. and 
he's right. trying to stop. He see, he's right. See something going wrong. You're, the wheels are turning. Um, but then he's not. He then he's like he's firing up a card. So you know, okay. So and you see the damage on his neck. So you're thinking, okay. So he probably was like damaged somehow. But then you find out later that yes, he was damaged. But what happened is all that was working was the right and the wrong. So that's really cool. I do like all of that. Mm-hmm. I actually love the scene when Worf and Picard are trying to catch Data, and Picard starts singing that song. Right from HMS Pinafore. That that's epic. Yeah, I thought that that was <laughs> really, really funny and really great. Um, and then you get Data. Right. Once again, I I, I I love the first half of this movie a lot, actually, because I do love the mystery and finding out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it all kind of falls apart whenever it's just the weird skin people are angry and so they want the planet to themselves. Mm-hmm. But then I'm confused because why don't if they just want to if they want the. It's a big the, planet. It's a big. Exactly. Can't they just Go live on the other the side of the planet? Side. And oh, by the way. It gets even crazier whenever you figure out these are actually the children of the people who still live there. Right. Dumbass, just go home. Yeah, but you can't always go home. Okay, I don't care. You cannot tell me everybody who left that planet as a young person has now been gone for so long that they're willing to kill their own parents to get the... They just want the... Because what is home without the with, without your family anyway? It's a place well, where you want to live they forever. They want revenge, I think. They want revenge because they were exiled. They but, want to live forever. But then I'm confused because the it's Federation is trying to help these people because they need allies after their losses from the Borg. Okay, makes sense. But if these are only the children, then what is it going to be? Is it like 600 people? Well, yeah. no, they're, they're, try- they're going to use that energy that... Fountain of Youth energy they're harvesting. And that is one of the things that I thought was interesting about this movie is this is the first time you start to really see those kinks in the moral armor of Starfleet. Like they're really making questionable moral decisions. Because I know a lot of people complained about Picard, like Starfleet was never like that. Starfleet was always upstanding. And, and, but we definitely... Either. No, What's there that? were always there were there were always little bits of people in, in Starfleet pulling slightly questionable things. I mean, even in the Next Generation, they did that some. But he, this isn't just a random person. He's got like clearance. He's he's not going rogue, right? But I think what Daniel's saying is, I think you see some of that in, in okay, Deep, yeah. Deep Space Nine as well. Oh, okay, I haven't seen Deep Space Nine, so yeah. Oh, okay, that that is cool, and you're right, Major. I do enjoy that. Um. I did like that, and then having to see Picard stand up to it, you know, I'm on his side. Like he's right. You can't. I love the. I love the use of history in Star Trek of mm-hmm. him saying some of the darkest times of our history were about relocating a small group of people to benefit the many. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're right. So, so I guess I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird. It's the plan kind of falls apart when you think about it, but it kind of hinges on. Okay, well, there was that one guy who's the leader who honestly just wanted revenge right. for being exiled in the first place. Right. But then, did they ever even get into why? I know that they were exiled because they like tried to take over. They tried to take over, but why were but they, they trying to take volu- over? They left voluntarily. They left voluntarily. Yes. I thought it said that they were exiled. Maybe I missed it because I was so bored by it that I stopped thinking about it for a second. You know that is a real possibility. The biggest thing about this movie, there definitely are some just obvious 
logical solutions to these problems that yeah. if if you just like okay find another continent you don't even have to find another you know i mean you can find a whole other continent you don't even have to find another, make another city just go somewhere altogether different um so there are some definitely some some places you have to just suspend logic yeah. because otherwise you don't have a story right and that's the thing. I like the mystery at the beginning. And mm -hmm. then you find the hologram and you know, okay, they're trying to relocate them. But without mm -hmm. them even knowing they were relocated. But then it's like, well, when you find out what's going on, I think to myself, why did they even care in the first place about these people finding out they were being relocated? Why that was Starfleet. Starfleet, that was Starfleet's, you know, oh, we don't want... Oh, that was... Okay, you're right. I'm Okay, yeah, now that you mentioned it, you're right. That was Starfleet's whole thing, because then once that fell apart, the guy was like, screw it, just do it like this. Okay, right. I feel you. But also, I do like how that came back in the end, that they did set some things up that in the end came back in, mm -hmm. a, in a pretty satisfying way, yeah. where they pulled that same plan on them and beamed them without them even knowing, which I didn't realize was a thing. So that was kind of weird to me, mm -hmm. like the idea that you can beam people, like this this whole thing kind of relied on you being able to beam people to a different place without the people knowing they are being beamed. Yeah. Is that like a previously established I don't think idea? so. Is that? No. Uh, I guess, though, that, I mean, you can feel the effects of the transporter beam, but mm -hmm. once the effects of the beam passed, if nothing around you had changed, you would just chalk it up as a You know what, you're right, <laughs> because there was that moment where there was that big flash, and they were like, what was that? I am going to back up a little bit, too. It's been so long since I actually watched the whole movie. I forgot y'all are right. They were exiled. They wanted to use technology when the elders didn't. Mm -hmm. And they okay. tried to use power, and they were exiled. For some reason, well, it has well, my, to... Well, my, my question was, there. why... Were they exiled? What did they do? And now, okay, they wanted to use the technology. They wanted to the use of technology. Okay. Right. So then, and, and, but then they got old, and I guess the idea is they were used to the idea that they weren't, they weren't ever going to get old. Right. So when they started getting old, they started using that space stretchy stuff to be young again. But then also some of them had like just other random modifications. So mm -hmm. did they? So I guess they were doing that also just for fun because it was all about body modification in general. Maybe. So is this a movie about body body modification, or is it about relocating people? Which is it? I mean, like, is that a thing? I mean, I guess it's kind of a thing now that we still have to deal with like that still happens to people yeah i guess not that i know a whole lot of i mean um, it doesn't happen to to people like right here um right where we're at but yeah in in parts of the world definitely you see large yeah, groups of people being displaced there's a whole refugee crisis everything like that right mm -hmm. you're right um so that's why I was asking though, if, like, if there was something like big with that going on at the time. Like, yeah, you there, know, when we, there, there was um, there were in in some places, uh, in the world during okay. during uh the nineties. Okay, that's what I was asking about earlier because I just right, really but what he was at. I mean, there wasn't like a big global, like uproar about one particular yeah 
relocation. Well, it kind of reminded me uh, in that, like, during um, the journey home, how I mentioned, like, there was somebody on staff really passionate about the whales. Whales, yeah. And it's that same thing. This is a bit more, you know, um, you really shouldn't do this to people. And I do like that theme, and I do like Picard standing up for that and mm-hmm. saying, like, it doesn't matter that it's only 600 people. It's still These wrong. are 600 people. I do, I did enjoy the idea they explored that these 600 people, they just assumed they were like primitive, like cavemen basically. Right. And then they meet them and they're like even more advanced. Mm-hmm. And they're so advanced that they realize that they don't even want the technology because they came from a place where all that technology, um, like ruined their all the technology in the war and the weapons ruined their world mm-hmm. and so they came here and they're like yeah i know what warp drive is don't talk to me like i'm an idiot i know what right. a hologram is yeah. i just choose this is hard for you to believe but i wanted to eat food that didn't come out of a machine or a replicator and like i wanted to live a life mm-hmm. that didn't involve like screens of technology and guess what i'm still happy crazy right mm-hmm. like I didn't need a freaking holodeck to go outside and explore the wilderness. I just did it. And they're like, what? And they just couldn't. The idea that the Federation just couldn't wrap their heads around that. Yep. That Well, if they're not using technology, they must be cavemen. Right. And so I do like that idea. And I do like some of the characters on the planet. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even remember the name of the species. Um, uh, but I do like some of the characters. You have Picard have a little romance. I'm going to go ahead and assume that that woman never shows up again. Seems Um, like a safe assumption. Just like in the journey home when Kirk has that romance and then that woman never shows up again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are some parts of the movie that I enjoyed. I really did. Um, I mean, I'm always going to enjoy it. I I do love the whole idea of, you know, at the beginning of the movie, um, you're setting up that Picard's too busy to take any detours. But then he hears Data's in trouble. Right. And he's taking a detour. <laughs> right, I obviously. always love that about, about this show. But there mm-hmm. were some parts that I really did enjoy. Um, but altogether, not the best. Altogether. Oh, my favorite <laughs> part? Uh, I really do. I'm a big fan of Troy's dyed hair. Um, I think it looks better than ever. I'm a, I'm a supporter. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but it's all. I would enjoy it just fine, like I said, as an episode of the series. As a Star Trek movie, it is the most forgettable Star Trek movie. Like, I'm not even sure. I think there are Star Trek fans who don't, they they go, well, there are only only three Next Generation movies, right? No, dude, there are four. This is Insurrection. Well, yeah, forget about that one. (laughs) Like, I have those conversations. Like, you know, it's it's just sort of there. Not bad. I think you like it better than I did, David, to be honest with you. I found some enjoyable parts in it. Um, but I, I really did have to, like, kind of dig for that. <laughs> what did I enjoy about this? Yeah. It's, it's probably... I don't I know. Think I got to wait, I gotta wait till we get... I got to wait till we get to next week before I really decide to talk about what is my least favorite Star Trek movie. Oh, You've been oh, yeah. for different reasons, though. I have issues with both of these last two films for different reasons. Is Nemesis the last movie? Look, Andrew's rolling his eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nemesis is the last 
Next Generation film, and then we'll have the three Kelvin films. Yeah, which I said something about how much I liked them on the internet the other day. It was informed how wrong I was, and I still like them. What? <laughs> the first Kelvin movie. The Who J- told you you were wrong for that? Uh, oh, a random person. A, a random internet person. That's what the internet's good for, people being like, I like this thing. He wrote, a, he wrote a novel about why she was wrong. So, But I still think I'm right. <laughs> I still like it. So it'll be interesting to get the, David's take on it. The internet is literally just, you know that scene in Pulp Fiction where he turns around and says, you got to have an opinion, then he shoots him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the internet. you got to have an opinion, but then you get shot. Right. Yeah. It's true. Can we have a whole podcast that was about Pulp Fiction? It's not science fiction. No, it's, just... it's action adventure, though. It's sort true. Yeah, it's on our list. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Uma, but... I have a Pulp Fiction poster hanging right next to me. Hey, Uma. <laughs> anyway, Looking we're going <laughs> to. And on that note, we're going to shut it down. <laughs> so Fourth. that's the time we got while David talks to his picture of Uma Thurman. But until next time, Marisha, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at princessesandpadawans.com. I am on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans. And I am ppadawans on Twitter. And Andrew? Okay, you can find me running the Twitter account for this show at sci underscore fictionary. You can drop us a line at the science fictionary at gmail.com. You can, of course, find us at the science fictionary.com. And you can find us as well as the rest of our Red Five family at red5network.com. And you can find my Twitch channel at darklighter580. And David. All right. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at stay underscore creative DD. And you guys can find me on my YouTube channel, Creative DD. All right. And I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter. And we'll see you next time.